Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have Platinum Rapper and founder of the iconic label, Terra Squad, Joseph Cartagena, a.k.a. Fat Joe. Coming up, I talked to Fat Joe about growing up in the Bronx, his scrapped album with Biggie, and chopping it up at the White House. Up next, Fat Joe. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Download the podcast, refer a friend, a family member, a co-worker, leave us a five-star rating. We appreciate your support. Who's been your favorite guest? What's been your favorite theme? Who would you like to see on the show? This week's theme is yesterday's price is not today's price. You're older, wiser, more seasoned, more experienced today than you were yesterday. The life that you live and the education you've gained informs the work that you actually do. That's why when you're at the table and they slide you an offer, don't just immediately accept it. Tell them you need to take a beat. Do your research. Find out what other people are making. Take that number and add your expertise. Multiply that by your proficiency. Multiply that by your unique perspective. Breaking news you're actually worth more than you think. Show them by letting them know the price just went up. And if they really want you, they'll meet you at what you're asking or at least come closer to what you're expecting. So coming from a mama's boy and a girl dad, this theme is especially for the ladies out there who are getting paid 80 cents of every dollar that a typical man works. Not only is that not fair, but it clearly hurts the family dynamic and affects the working force. So until there's equity across race and gender, we're gonna have to walk in demanding what we're worth. As my brother Fat Joe once said, not only lean back, But yesterday's price is not today's price. And he would know from terrorizing the Bronx as a graffiti artist in the 80s to building the iconic Terror Squad, a hip hop label that has given us the likes of Remy Ma, Cool and Dre, and DJ Khaled. Fat Joe has leveled up in more ways than one. And I sat down with him fresh off his visit to the White House. Coming up, I talked to Joey Crack about having a career in hip hop, working with the late, great, big pun, and the one thing up and coming rappers must know. Up next, Fat Joe.
Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. My next guest is a legend in hip-hop. Joseph Cartagena, a.k.a. Fat Joe, is a platinum recording artist who's been on the charts for decades with continuous hits like Lean Back, Lean Back, Make It Rain, and What's Love? And he's continued to boss up over the years as an entrepreneur and as a philanthropist. You continue to hear from my brother, and I learned from my brother, that yesterday's price is not today's price. It is my honor to welcome Fat Joe to the program. What up, my brother? Yo, what's up, Jalen boy? What's going on, man? All good. I appreciate you taking the time. And I'm a huge fan. I consider you family. And I've known you for a very long time. So don't, don't be surprised when I'm asking you questions that you know I know the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> we got to be informative. Absolutely. Tell me what was it like for you growing up in the Bronx? In the Bronx was a lot of love. Um, we didn't have much. It was really, really poor. Uh, the Bronx looked like Vietnam, like a war zone, like Ukraine. No, no BS. Buildings was all tore down. The schools was tore down. But we had love. And from those hard times of oppression, that's where hip hop was born. And so some people, you can say you from LA, you from East LA, you from Compton, you from uh, Riverside. But I'm from the Bronx where hip hop was born, like birth. So my brother used to carry Grandmaster Flash's crates. Ooh. I used to see Melly Mel. My grandmother lived across mm. the street from Mr. Ness. So all these little Rodney C, everybody, you name it hip hop, I used to watch him as a baby, five, six years old. Uh, and my brother started rapping. That's what made me want to rap, trying to be like him. But most of all, we had a strong family unit. We loved each other and everybody supported each other. What was it like being from the Bronx, as you mentioned, the birth of hip hop? Like the first time I got exposed to Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mills, like broken glass everywhere. I was like, yeah. yo, this is crazy. Yeah. But you were living it. So what was those days like? Well, I was just a kid, but I loved music. You know, the way it was, it was like disco music had the game on Smash. And then uh, the Bee Gees had it on Smash. Mm, and then they started hip hop. And then it was it was stuff like the hard, the hard. Rapping Duke. And then you had Blondie. Fat Bob Ready is that's cool. And then, yeah. and then, like you said, the message uh, was the true meaning of going viral from day one. So if you walk down a building, a project building, I live in a project building with 145 apartments. And so every floor you went to, it was like, every floor, like every floor was playing the message. And, uh, and so, you know, it was like something beautiful, something fresh, 
you know, people were tired of living hard and they was just having a good time. And so I used to b-boy, I used to break dance, I used to be in a group called The Breakers Revenge. So I, I used to do the electric boogie, you know what I'm saying? I broke graffiti, that's where Joey Crack comes from, and, and, and TS and Tats. So I, I pretty much did every element. I sucked at DJing. I, I could never be good at DJing. I tried, but I couldn't catch it. So what about like classic things that helped birth hip hop? As you mentioned, the KRS-One always made sure that he let everybody know that hip hop was more than just rapping on the microphone. It was, it's graffiti. It's how we dress, it's how we speak. So- Beatboxing is graffiti. Yes. It's DJing, it's MC. Break dancing. Break no dancing, b-boying. So tell me about the days, because as somebody that has spent so much time in New York, it always fascinated me, especially when I saw Crush Groove and I saw Ray Moe and he's like, the white B Street, one. B Street was filmed in my hood. It was like three blocks away. Ooh. So B Street, all that where you see the train, that's, that's Prospect Ave. That's my hood. Like, so we watching movies about our hood. You know, uh, rest in peace, K Slade, Desi Dez. He was in the first hip hop um, movie called Star Wars. And he was writing on the plant, on the trains with um, one arm case. And so, you know, it was it was it was so crazy. You know, I watched um, Melly Melanum. They pulled up in one ninety Benz's white one ninety five back to back. We never even knew what Benz was. They pull up, and I remember one day I'm watching Melly Mel on the Grammys with Shaka Khan. A Shaka Khan, and he had the glove, and I was like, yo, the next day he was playing basketball in the hood. So it was just like surreal for me, man. It's almost like my daughter, her aunt is Angie Martinez, Mary J. Blige, and Godfather's Khaled. She grew up thinking everybody's on TV. Right. You know, so it was surreal for me. So what about your days as a break dancer? And tell me some of your favorite tags when you were doing graffiti. Man, you know, graffiti's still my life. You know, I still, if I, if I, if I, if I could have done graffiti and not get in trouble, uh, mm. I'd have been hitting trains and everything right now. So it's, mm -hmm. um, it's a passion, it's a, a, an addiction, and it's a subculture. That if you're into graffiti, you know, I still see, like, I just seen a Coke. Coke, too, is like one of the kings of graffiti. I just seen a brand new throw up in the set 2022. So I'm like, damn, he's been rocking for like 30 years. So if you're looking for it, you see it's like a things are moving around that normal people don't see. My moms and pops won't see it, but I could see it. So mm. I would be in my father's station wagon looking at all the graffiti, knowing the names. And we went to Brooklyn, there's a guy named OS, you know, my, my, my uncle's house. So um, very passionate about graffiti. You, you wasn't a real graffiti writer if you didn't go to the hardware store and steal the paint. You couldn't mm. buy the paint. You couldn't buy the paint, you had to steal it. <laughs> right. You call it racket. You had to be authentic. <laughs> Man, I got my ass bust quite a few times. 
by the hardware store owners when they caught me stealing that spray paint. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was everything in graffiti is about risk. You right. know, climbing up rooftops, you know, hiding underneath the trains, running from the cops. I guess it's a big adrenaline rush, you know, and everybody's out for fame. Everybody's out to be king, all city. It's crazy. So now people see you as Chopra and they get a chance to follow you on IG. But if I look deeper to the box score, the group that you started is called Terror Squad. Yes. So how did you guys get that name? Well, it was a graffiti crew. And so we was terrorizing TS. Mm. And so, you know, I, I started that crew, but I got to mention that I started with digging in the crates. Mm. Buckwild, mm -hmm. Recipes, Big L, Showbiz, AG, Diamond D. And so that's the crew that brought me out. They're from my projects as well. And so, uh, well, most of us, me, Diamond, Finesse, and Showbiz. And so they started me, and it's almost like I started Khaled and mm. TS, but then he went on to do We The Best. Mm. So I was always an entrepreneur. I was always a visualizer, a creative, and I always knew I wanted to go um, as an executive in the business. So I started the Terror Squad. And so big pun. Mm. No doubt. How about not only did you start Terror Squad, but as a terrific platinum artist yourself, and you've been a part of so many iconic hip hop moments, and you just mentioned Big L. Remind the world about the freestyle session that happened between he and Jay-Z. Who was in the room? What went down? Some, some, well, it happened on Stretch and Barbito. Some people say Big L won. Some people say Jay-Z is out there on YouTube somewhere. And so they just started going flow for flow. You know, L, you know, he was one of those guys. He would have he been a big boy if he wouldn't have got killed tragically. Mm. And he's almost like a Biggie Smalls, you know, rest in peace. Biggie got killed for shit he ain't had nothing to do with. Mm. So Big L got killed for shit he ain't had nothing to do with. Mm. You know what I mean? He was just affiliated with the wrong crowd. And somebody seen him and said, fuck it, I'm going to take it out on Big L. Big mm. L wouldn't have passed away. He would have been a Jay-Z, a Nas, mm. you know, on that level. What did you think as you bring up, like, you know, discord and hip hop. Because as, as, as a legend in the game and an OG and, and Terror Squad, I'll just say carry weight. What, what did you feel as the East Coast, West Coast beef was happening? I felt offended because there was no East Coast, West Coast beef. Mm. So Ice Cube would walk around New York and come perform at the Apollo and it'd be sold out. All the hustlers, everybody be up there going crazy. We love Snoop Dogg. We love Dr. Dre. And so we felt disrespected by mm. it because we like, damn, man, we've been fucking with NWA. We love y'all, man. How y'all gonna come at us 
like East Coast, West Coast. Mm. And um, and so I felt offended. At the time I was young, I was still crazy. One foot in the game, one foot in the street. So I had that mentality of they better not fuck with me because mm-hmm. I don't really got to go over there. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't that big yet. Now, when you right. big like Joey Crack now, you got to go do some shit in L.A. Like right. You got to do an interview award <laughs> show. Right. You got to go right. to got sponsors and endorsers. Yeah, yeah. You got to be in L.A. a couple of times a year. So it's a different, but at that time, I was like, yo, I ain't got to go out there, right? <laughs> right. And so, you know, it, it, you know, it was out of hand. We lost Biggie, we lost Pop, 20-something years old. You know, so sad, and they're so legendary, iconic. You know, martyrs for hip-hop. And so, uh, you know, but I never, I never, never thought it was about nothing the East Coast, West Coast. I never, you know, I just, I, I grew up with hip hop. I grew up, hip hop started Latino and black from day mm-hmm. one. You go into the photos, you go into everything. Ruby D, fantastic. Charlie Chase for the Cold Crush. I go crazy legs, all of them. And mm-hmm. so, the way I was taught hip hop was that it was diverse. And so Zulu Nation had Asian brothers and sisters. Like, so I felt like it was one family inclusion. I never felt like this is New York, that's mm. LA. I felt like it's hip hop. You know, no matter where you from, I love Humpty Hump. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I love MC Breed. I love, you, you know, it, it, right. I, I didn't understand it. And what about other artists that you went on to collaborate with? Hits with people like Ashanti, J-Lo. Like, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Man, I've been able to perf- I've been able to make music with the greats of, like, LL Cool J, Budja Bonton. You know, I made an album with Biggie Smalls. What? 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 Hold on. What? Yeah, we made Hold it. on. Hold on. I need to hear more. Let me hit the break. You got to tell me more about you and Biggie did an album? Yeah. And so he was like, yo, you're going to be the Spanish Dawn. I'm going to be the Black Dawn. You know, and but it was it was at the time of the East Coast, West Coast. And, you know, we dissing people and all that. So Puffy buried that because... It's for the best, because we love the West Coast. We love everybody with positivity. But we cut a bunch of records. Not a bunch, but we cut a couple of records. Supposed to be an album, Biggie, Fat Joe. And then, uh, you know, I think Tupac had died, and it was like, yo, man, get rid of that shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? And not to double down on it, but I have to ask, can you think of the name of it? Or a name or a title of something. I don't think it all uh, the name, but it was just violence. It was just like foul shit. You know what I mean? It was just hard. Mm. You know? Mm. And so, you know, it was it was like that. <laughs> you know, and it was them beats. It was them biggie beats, like them hitman beats, them, you know, mm. uh, if you're gonna die, 
We're gonna kiss y'all. Like that type of shit. Them, them fucking music with the violins and shit. Ooh. Crazy. That, ooh, you that right. But that, 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 what, that would have been a classic musical release, but that I'm so very glad didn't happen because, like you said, that would have caused true bloodshed. Because yeah. I, I mean, know it, really guys, it was bloodshed, but. You know, it's because I was working with Big because I had only put out two albums. They did all right. Um, Jealous Woods Envy and uh, Represent, but because Classic. Atlantic heard, yeah, but you know, street shit. But Atlantic Records had heard that I was doing an album with Biggie and they infiltrated and they gave me my own record label. And that's how uh. I signed Don Cartagena. And everything really? to Atlantic. So they uh, caught the, they heard I was Biggie. They was like, yo, what's up with this guy, Fat Joe? That Biggie gonna do an album with him. And they gave me a big deal. So I went to Puff. I said, yo, Puff, um, they give me my own record label, overhead, millions of dollars. He said, Playboy, I don't believe that. So when they gave me the contract, I gave it to Puff. And I said, look, he ready. He said, Playboy, go get that. I ain't giving you that. Go get that. <laughs> and that's how I got the Terror Squad uh, label through, through Atlantic and put out my music through there. And both of you guys, Puff I'm talking about, end up bossing up. And it seems like you guys were a part of a New York hip-hop movement to Florida. Talk about that reinvention and how you You know what happened to me is I grew, up, I grew up at a time where there was not, it was friendly competition in New York. It wasn't really ego and competition. So we would go to every other artist video. We would rock with other artists. And then New York got really crazy when like 50 Cent Blue and then Cameron and them was dissing Nas and every, it, it was just a real ugly time. And so, you know, I had already had this relationship with Cool and Dre and with, 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 with DJ Khaled and I said, you know what, I'm gonna go to Miami because it's all love there. And so we unified, we, we signed Khaled. You know, mm -hmm. I, I discovered Khaled. We put his albums together, but at the same time, we was there working with Ross on every record, Pitbull mm -hmm. on every record, Lil Wayne, you know, Katrina happened. And so Birdman and Lil Wayne came to Miami. Mm -hmm. and so you see songs like, uh, um, I don't know what it is, whatever I like that. Holla at me, baby. You see, picking over. You see, I'm so hood. We were just collaborating with each other. And it was, it reminded me of the early days when I used to work with all the other artists. Miami, mm -hmm. they didn't have no egos. Nobody thought that, to this day, nobody act like they better than nobody in Miami. Everybody act like, word, all right, let's rock. You know, that's just a vibe. And also, like, I'm, I'm from Detroit. I'm going to always live there. My driver's license is there, all of that. But you get more bang for your buck in Florida. Okay, the weather is <laughs> nice. You know, well, you know when you live in this You're going to be driving those Rolls Royces in New York City in the middle of winter. Fat Joe with Can't the top it. down. Can't do it. And, you see, for me, it's as simple as a palm tree. You know, I grew up like you in Detroit. I grew up in New York. It's the concrete jungle. Exactly. You know, and so when Correct. I see a palm tree, 
I could be dead broke. Yeah. Eat the crystals burger by a palm tree in Miami and feel like I, I made it. I won. And so uh and, and so I love the weather, I love the people, they nice uh and they embrace me. So you know. And you can also be seen with your foot on the wood at multiple NBA games for years. One of the OGs that represent the NBA game, and I appreciate that. So I have to ask you, the Nets and the Knicks are both out of the playoffs. What do you think about what happened with the Knicks this year? And then what do you think about how the Nets got swept by the Celtics? Well, it's safe to say the Knicks and Nets won the same amount of playoff games this year. (laughs) Zero. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Shots fired. Hate the Nets, man. I'm a hater. I'm a hater. And because they were supposed to be our guys. Kevin Durant, uh, you know, I you know, I caught Kyrie at Rock Nation. I, I got on my knees for this guy. Oh uh-huh. I begged him, sweating bullets. Come what? to the Knicks. Man. I tried so hard to get him to sign the Knicks. Jay-Z had to hit me up and be like, yo, leave the man alone. You had him in the room for <laughs> half an hour. Leave him alone. He's going to the Nets. Leave him alone. Broke my heart. And so, so I'm a hater of the Nets. And uh, the Knicks, Jalen, believe it or not, I love our team. And so we've lost for many years, and I didn't like you know, certain play, players didn't work with each other, but I love the youth and the Knicks. Mm-hmm. I think the coach got to play the Knicks more, and we definitely need one more bona fide superstar. Dame Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, uh, a, a, just a guy who scores. Cold right. as ice. You need that because, you notice we lost a bunch of games this year where we had a lead or it was close. We just couldn't finish it. But if you got one of those clutch, that'll make the whole difference. So, as you mentioned, you're a diehard New Yorker, and in particular, ride and die for your Knicks. But I have to ask you, I was watching the Nets game, and I almost felt bad for the OG, my brother Spike Lee at the game. He had no business there. I know he'd rather be at the Garden. That's my brother. He had no business there. (laughs) Broke my heart. I don't know what he was doing there. <laughs> that was I don't know who I know he had on the Brooklyn Jackie Rogers. No, I was confused. I'm really confused. Like, you look, you can't catch me going to Brooklyn to watch the Nets play somebody. That, that's blasphemy. You know, and, and Spike, he, he's, a, he's a diehard Knicks fan, but I don't know what happened at that game. Like, if, 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 he wasn't at that game. We wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> right. Like, it was weird. <laughs> you know, man, how many people sent me pictures of that? It was like, yo, Joe, you see your man? Because, you know, I know. Mike I is like know. a mentor to me. He's somebody I look up to, not just as a Nick fan, just in life. You know, when, when I met Scott, uh, Spike and I worked with him on She's Gotta Have It, I always knew since I was a kid that one day I would work with Spike Lee 
And he would, you know, and he gave me the opportunity in night school too. Hundred million dollar film. Wow, that's dope. You know, he plugged me in with them. I had to audition. But Spike is a mentor, somebody I look up to. You know, one game this year, although it was sad, we played the Nets. Spike comes up to me and says, he taps me in my chest and says, you can drive me home. <laughs> <laughs> so we go out there, we both pissed as hell. We had a 20-point lead. We had a 20-point a, a lead. Um, and we lost the lead. We was walking out. We was so mad. So he getting the color in, stars on the roof. And he, he looks at me and says, now, Joe, do you need all this? I said, yes. <laughs> I, said, I said, Spike, I only live once. I need this. <laughs> and so we drive it. And it was such an honor to drive him home. It was like, I, I felt so privileged to drive Spike home after a Nick game. So what is it like to see yourself and how far you've come from humble beginnings in the South Bronx that now you can drive whatever whip you want to drive through White Castle? <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, man, last week, we buried a friend, a comrade, somebody who I love dearly, Kay Slade, who really, mm -hmm. really helped Rest a piece, drama lot of game. people get in the game and started their careers. Um, and so it just lets you know how vulnerable life is and how short it is. And so I came from nothing, right? And so I, I made money and I, I continue to work hard to make money. And I'm gonna continue to spoil you myself and my family while I'm here. Cause I've never seen nobody take it with them mm -mm. in the hearts. Preach, preach. Oh, we never see nobody make a U-turn and come back. Like, yo, this was crazy up there. Like, nah, mm -hmm. <laughs> when you go, you go. Exactly. And so I don't understand. I got friends that like to save money and 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 and, and I don't know what they we're not guaranteed. No, not at all. And so it's a it's 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 a humble feeling, and also, I I say this, but people get upset with me because they think it's uh like I'm institutionalized. But no matter how much money I got, I'm still a poor soul, mm. meaning I never forget where I come from, mm. and I never forget that I could go back. Mm. Highly unlikely that I'll go back, but I never forget where I come from. And 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 so if you notice, even in your life, Jalen, you're wiser now, you're smarter, you're a family man, of, uh, you're, everything you've been through, like commentators, somebody we look up to, but you always still you, that DNA, mm -hmm. that soul, you're right. still you're just older and wiser, right? But you always still that same young boy. Right. And so that, that's how I feel. I feel like I'm the same guy from Forest Projects, just wiser, and God took me through another journey. Now it's our job to come back, not come back. How about, like, I invest in the hood. I got stores in the hood, all mm -hmm. that. I mentor the kids. I give back constantly. And so, and I speak up for the voiceless. Mm -hmm. 
is that sometimes, you know, people in our business from being celebrities and being popular, we don't be wanting to get people upset. You know right. what I mean? But I'll speak on issues that affect right. our people, meaning the brown and black people, Absolutely. anytime, any place. Absolutely. I just went to the White House for the first time. That's that's incredible. That that is a. And by the way, just think about Joey Crack job at the White House. Just those words in a sentence. But what was that experience like? But you've been doing a terrific job as an activist. First of all, first of all, my moms and my aunts was going ham on my phone. Like they they were so <laughs> proud of me. They I I mean, it's the first time my uncles. Everybody was like, "Yo, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you." And I went down there. Uh talking about power to the patients. You know, a lot of patients out there are getting taken advantage of. You go to the same hospital, use the same equipment, use the same doctor. Somebody could pay $300, somebody could pay $3,000. It's the only place we go to that we don't know what we gonna pay. Mm. So they can charge you whatever they want. Wow. If you have right. that jacket and they sold that jacket, for $100 in one store, and they sold it in another store for $50, you're going to buy it in the $50 store. Same Correct. Jacket. Correct. So it, 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 it eliminates competition. It eliminates the prices coming down. And so I like to speak up for them because our people are being affected the most by this. So I go in the White House, we sit down. It was the greatest experience of my life. The head of everything was in there. Had the president of diversity, president of LGBT, president of disability, president of this, and uh, and we're sitting there with them. And so I'm start talking about this. So a young lady comes and says, Oh, so this is the issue. I said, listen, I'm I'm here to talk about any issue that got to do with the brown and black. Exactly. I'm about all the issues. Mm-hmm. And so uh and that's what I'm about, man. And I, and it's incredible that you take the time and energy to do that. I, I I really appreciate it. You you're helping make society a better place, and we're forever grateful for you. And we need people who are still tied to the streets to also be in the rooms like the White House where their voices can be heard because you can speak with people that look like us and know what we're thinking. But before I let you get out of here. Joseph Carter, Gina, I appreciate you joining me. I'm going to write a column about this in the New York Post. I have a rapid fire segment about Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this? Let's go. When you back in New York, what is the first food spot you hitting up? It's called Casa Della. You've done a lot of historic collaborations. Name one artist you haven't worked with that you want to work with next. Dr. Dre. If you had to drop fat from in front of your name, but needed to use another word to describe yourself, what would it be? Joey Greenhouse. Lastly, what's the one piece of advice you would give to up and coming rappers today? Use social media, it's free. Mm. Love and blessings, my brother. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Jalen. Much, much love. Peace.
Last call. Last call. I'd like to thank my Rock Nation brother, Fat Joe, for stopping by the podcast. It's incredible to see his rise and how many people he actually brought up with him. One thing that stuck out to me about our conversation is hearing him reminisce about the days where rappers would actually visit each other on set. And although it was competitive, it was still all love. He talked about how it started to go away in the early 2000s. And though it hasn't been the same, he gave me hope about the new crop of rappers that are up and coming. Labels like We The Best, Terror Squad, and so many more have produced notable songs, hit records, and artists. You also have artists like Lil Baby, Yachty, supporting their female rapper label mates like City Girls, and people like Kendrick Lamar, lending bars to people like Baby Keen, who's up next. I've seen a lot of collaboration and love. That's really what hip hop is all about. And as you listen to this podcast, think of the ways you can bring collaboration and love to your industry. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.